this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. How are you doing today? I hope things are going absolutely wonderful for you wherever you find yourself in this big, wacky, wonky, and amazing world. Before we get into today's episode, do me a favor, head over to the website www.thehopnerd.com. If you have not checked out Safety Sucks the Manifesto, do me a favor, head over to Amazon, check it out. It's available most places that you find books, but it's just just easy. Just head on over to Amazon, pick it up, check it out. Let me know what you think, whether you liked it, loved it, hated it, whatever. If you do pick it up, head on back over and give it a review after you give it a little bit of a read. I apologize. My computer might be going off in the background because I forgot to mute it. Uh, you know, real life podcasting here. You know, that's not going to get edited out, but back to the book, check it out. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, if, if you hate the podcast, I guess, scroll on down, leave us somewhere between zero and five stars. <laughs> Five would be uh, be preferable for us if you're liking the content. And if you have time, leave us a quick review as well. So we talked about, you know, the reviews of the podcast. We talked about the book. We talked about the website. Oh, social media. Go follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter. It is The Hop Nerd One. And one final question before we get too far into today's podcast. How do you feel about the new format? We're coming to you just on Mondays now. Uh, we're going to keep doing that until you just tell me that you hate it. It's freeing up some time for me to continue writing and continue working on some other little super secret projects we have going on here in the world of the Hop Nerd Podcast. So I'm liking it. Hopefully you are as well. So on today's episode, we're going to continue a little bit on a thought that we started on last week, and it's this idea of kind of our moral commitment in safety, I guess kind of our moral stance, our, our, our moral compass and I've been trying to grapple with this idea lately in some of the ways that we, many of the ways that we contradict kind of our moral stance of being here to create betterment and really down this path of how often, so often we actually create safety worse. <laughs> we create just general, not great things within our organization as we approach trying to fix things and better them. We have this long list of unintended and, and, and in many cases they are unintended negative side effects uh, that we seem to ignore in a lot of ways uh, as we pursue doing safety in, in particular better. Uh, and let me let me start here. Let me start back with a story. That's what we started with last week. So this will be a story time with with Sam again, I guess. But, but let's let's start with the story. And it's this. It's this. A real life story. I'll say that completely, completely real life story of something that I observed at some point in my career. Um, but and let me start by saying that work is just cool, man. <laughs> work is is beautiful, and and that's something that I, I I hope that you kind of pull out of a little bit of this story because I remember thinking in this particular moment how neat and how beautiful this particular task was. So. I was walking around, I was doing, you know, safety person stuff, and I happened to stumble across a, a group of carpenters who informed me later that they prefer to be called scaffologists because they are scaffold builders, and, and they don't, I guess this particular group, they didn't really build anything else. They were, they were very proud of being scaffologists, and they were building this gigantic scaffold into the heavens <laughs> of this facility that I was at. 
and they were they were basically building this work platform for a group of welders to come in and make some repairs in kind of the overhead space above. So I don't know if you've been around scaffologists. I've been around them for my entire career, and they're just an, an awesome, an awesome, and amazing group of folks that do just really neat work. And they're there, and they're building this scaffold, and it's like boom, 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 just up into the sky. And it's like nothing was there, and then all of a sudden, like, snap your fingers, this m- amazingly beautiful, pristine structure made of, you know, these scaffold knuckles and tubes and planks and netting, you know, uh, just beautiful, beautiful structure with everything that you would expect it to have just out of nothing, out of a few carts of parts, <laughs> you know, just boom up into the sky. And then pretty soon, it's pretty much as soon as they're down, like tools off into the cart, kind of leaving the area, here comes this weld group and stringing, stringing welding leads and temporary lighting and laying this big thick layer of fire blanket over, over everything. And then boom up, they're up on the scaffold and, you know, sparks raining down, which they had, had planned for with all this, all this fire blanket and then silence and then bright flashes of light, you know, as they make these kind of weld repairs and then boom, back down and gone. I mean, just, just beautifully planned work, just boom, 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 boom. And then as soon as they're walking off, here comes the scaffologist back and they scurry up the scaffold and part by part, piece by piece, they, you know, they form this line as they, as they disassemble the scaffold that leads between the part that they're removing all the way back to the scaffold cart where the material is going to go. And it's this line of, of deconstruction and part passing. And as they pass parts down, the person above is handing it to the person below them in the line. The person below them grabs twists to indicate that they have a firm grip before the person above lets go. And it's just this, this clockwork evolution of just amazing work. And again, it seems just like that, just, just in a matter of what seemed to be minutes, you know, we went from no scaffold to a just massive scaffold to weld repair work back to the scaffold parts, all fitting neatly onto a cart. And they, they were off. They, they were done. You know, I mean, just, just gone just like it had never happened. Work is amazing. <laughs> Work is beautiful. Just the, just the structure, just the scaffold, this, this intricate web of geometric shapes of triangles and squares and tie-in points. And it's just beautiful to observe. But not long after, not long after they're done, right now, not long after the work was done, the welders had retreated and the scaffologists had retreated, and, you know, they're, they're back at their shop, they're wrapping up, you know, they're cleaning up for the day. One of the scaphologists noted that there was, noticed, noticed that there was a little irritation to their eye, right? So after a few minutes of kind of rubbing and digging at the annoying eye, um, the employee made the decision. They're like, okay, I'm going to throw this eye under the sink and see what happens. And so they washed out their eye for a few minutes under the sink, and not better, not worse, about the same. So now coming to the realization that something was most certainly in there, and, and even more importantly, that, that something that was in there needed to come out, <laughs> the employee let their supervisor know, and, you know, quick inspection, let's take a look at your eye, yep, red and puffy, let's try some eye wash. The supervisor made a couple calls, and just like that, the employees at the clinic, and you know, with the help of a little bit of magnification, the doctor discovered there a little culprit in there, which was a little small piece, almost microscopic piece of something that appeared to be a little bit of slag or welding slag. 
And this near microscopic little booger was what was causing all of that problem. So formidable foe indeed, <laughs> despite the size. And, you know, several eye drops later, a cotton swab and some more eye drops, you know, for the employee to carry home. And there you go. All, all done. It, the employee was freed from their affliction. But we're now at a decision point. Right? We're at a very, very, very important decision point. And I'll ask you, put yourself in this position as a leader, uh, as a safety professional, but e- even more importantly, as, as the leader maybe above that supervisor, as that supervisor lets who you being that person, hey, I had an employee get a little bit of welding slag in their eye. We went to the doctor. Uh, they found the, you know, that little piece. They pulled it out completely fine, got some prescription eye drops. Definitely OSHA recordable at this point, right? Um, but it, all, all is well. All is well. I'm going to ask you, how would you respond? And, and, and take a second on this one and, and really think this one through. Not what you think you should do. <laughs> I, I guess that's the right way to say it. don't think about it in the thing of, well, what I would like to do. Think about how you would actually respond or a leader in your organization would respond. Take a few minutes. If you're not driving while you listen to this, get up, pace around the room. I'll give you a little some thinking music here. Pace around the room and and really think about it and ask yourself, how would I respond? How would we respond? How would our organization respond to this type of an event? As a leader, as a safety practitioner, what path would you choose? Again, we're at a decision point. And as I mentioned, there goes the computer. <laughs> but I'm working. I'm, I'm doing like three things all at once here and doing this really fun podcast. So there you go. Again, you know that these are unscripted. <laughs> but now with some ideas kind of flooding to your mind, as I mute my computer here, um, now with some ideas flooding to your mind, let, let's kind of let's set the stage a little bit. And I I don't want to be too much of a reductionist here, but let's boil this down and and put some labels. I know labels ick, but let's put some labels on this decision point just to kind of kind of set the stage around this interaction, around this really crucial decision point. Um, Really, this intersection between company and employee. Right. And, And let's say that just generally labeling that this decision point has a high level of potential meaning right? It can be meaningful, it can be meaningless, or it can be harm-inducing, right? So let's just say that it has overall broad label that this point, this intersection, has a high potential for meaning. So for the sake of this conversation, let's reduce it down a little bit even farther and say that this, that this interaction, the way that you choose to respond, your reactions, your response, that it will either be a positive or a a negative experience. And I'll dare to be even more of a reductionist here and, and, and say, let's assume just for a moment that our decisions in this moment and beyond will either unleash a positive or negative chain of events. We will create something meaningful or meaningless. We'll create more good than harm or more harm than good. How we react, how we respond, the path that we choose, it'll take us closer to better or closer to worse, right? In these situations, as we maneuver and feel our way through these decision points, we alter the work worlds around us. We impact people. Right? We, we alter the worlds that surround us. A poor reaction to an employee reporting an event clearly signals to the workforce that it is not safe to do that. It's not safe to do that. A botched response, one that makes things far worse, leaves people just wishing that they had just kept their freaking mouth shut, creates silence and 
maybe almost as bad, makes work suck that much more. It makes work harder. So the decisions that we make, they create silence or conversation. They cultivate ignorance or learning. They'll drive us uh, towards, uh, or, or they'll help to increase labor action or effortless action, right? They'll, they'll make work harder or they'll make work easier. They'll make it harder to be safe or make it easier to be safe. They'll propagate order or chaos, and ultimately they'll help to make things better or they'll serve to make things worse, right? So with all of that kind of stage setting out of the way, what happened to our scaffold builder? So again, Thanks to the help of the doctor, along with a bottle of prescription eye drops, the eye was as good as new, maybe better, who knows, within a few days. But let's take this a little bit farther and kind of back to this is where we're feeding back into that kind of um, the morality of safety conversation. And, and we'll go even farther, trust me, as we go along. But pain comes in many forms and varieties that extend well beyond the physical realm. It not only manifests in kind of that l- kind of obviously apparent localized physical suffering for an individual after the, after the injury, after the kind of injury in the acute sense, but such as feelings, it's, it's shame or guilt, you know, stuff that we kind of come up with internally a lot of times too. It can manifest in the form of blame and punishment, pain-inducing negatives that are often used to, air quotes, correct undesirable behaviors, correct used loosely, obviously, <laughs> in response to unpleasant operational outcomes. Mechanisms that extract pounds of flesh from wrongdoers and deepen their already present feelings of guilt and shame. And it can stem from meaningless or negative change, the reshaping of our work worlds for the worse due to unintended operational surprises. You know, these pain-inducing negatives ultimately cause harm for employees and employers alike, though we, kind of as the organization, we rarely see or feel this harm before it's it's far, far, far too late. And then we're having that conversation about, how I don't know how we got into this wacky situations where we have so much junk and clutter in our organizations. I don't know how we got to, I just don't know how we got to this point. But employees feel this pain directly and in a more acute sense through the purposeful and direct application of suffering. And it, it is suffering. We apply suffering into our organizations one that typically comes in the form of disciplinary action. And they often experience this acute pain through more indirect means as well, right? Such as retraining, being forced to publicly share their cautionary tale, one that says, thou shalt not be like me. Please don't make the mistakes of me, this lowly unsafe person that dared to get hurt on the watch of the organization. We parade them around in this roadshow roadside circus act of blame and shame of, of, of that. Don't be like me. And we punish them indirectly by them having to see their, their, their injury, their event. This thing that this person that found themselves at the, at, at the end of a long line of typically organizational problems that is now hurt. We meet hurt with more hurt and we parade them around and we tell their story on repeat over and over and over at every single safety meeting at every single chance that we get with safety newsletters and videos and don't be like Bob over here. Don't, you know, don't get crap in your eye or this might be you. We do that until some uh, other unfortunate soul takes their place usually. <laughs> right? But this pain is rarely contained to those acute forms that we just talked about. These kind of more acute forms of misery. It typically, typically extends well beyond kind of those direct, direct that directly involved individual hurt travels far 
and wide, and it usually goes a great distance from its source, negatively affecting many, 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 many souls along the way. So our, our typical negative response to failure, these kind of reactions that grow from this deeply ingrained belief that says failure shall never occur, at least not on our watch, you know, these things, that they diminish people's ability to be honest, right? And it drives organizations away from learning. And, you know, that's a pain source in and of itself, right? And these other things, this, this slick new observation program, the one that mandates everyone must complete some arbitrary number of observations daily or else, you know, that observation program that comes with some hefty administrative burden. And every time that we have an event, we force you to do more because watching people harder makes them safer. You know, that's, that's a pain source. That is a source of pain. That is a source of suffering. That new glove, the one that you just spent millions of dollars on, the one that makes accomplishing work near impossible that all of your employees hates, but, you know, you know what's best for them. So you're going to do it to them anyways. That's a point of pain. That's a point of suffering. That brand new checklist, that permit, the one that now must be done always and forever and until the end of time, the one that makes work harder and more complicated and doesn't really add any value, it's simply a brand new source of pain. And my point here is that pain is pain. No matter how we slice it, no matter how good we think it is, no matter how much we think that our employees should suffer in the name of safety, that through their suffering that they'll somehow be safer, I don't know it's still pain, right? It's still pain. Pain is pain. And the introduction of pain into our systems never seems to end very well for anyone involved. So what really, what, what, what really happened? Back to the story. I know I'm kind of all over the place, but back to the story. What really happened to our scaphologist friend? All of the above, right? All of the above. Typical, atypical response. Ultimately, hurt was just met with more hurt. Pain was met with pain. Pain reared its ugly head in its many forms, and it won. And I'll spare you kind of all those mundane details of the horrific accident investigation and the analysis of the event, and I'll just say that it was par for the course. Um, and I just, I don't know, I think, I, I think it's better to spend our time here together talking about their chosen path forward, the fixes that they pursued in response to this tragic, tragic failure in which an employee was actually okay. So almost immediately, the involved employee, along with the entire crew, they were placed, uh, again, almost immediately on unpaid leave. You don't want those folks tainting the investigation. we got to get them off site, right? So after that brief investigation, it was determined that a lack of hazard awareness led to a level of personal protective equipment that was insufficient for the hazard. And boom, just like that. That's how the event was born. Hazard awareness. Human Error. It was human error. That was the real culprit here. If only that employee had been more aware, they would have they would have looked closer and thought deeper about the level of PPE that they needed to protect them from that near microscopic piece of welding slag. And this would have never happened, and it would have never caused us all this headache. So, from there, you know, a steady stream of useless and harm-producing actions could be generated to remedy this pesky element of human air. So to begin, remedy number one, the employee was near instantly fired <laughs> once we discovered human air was the culprit. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was kind of written down as failing to don an appropriate level of personal protective equipment prior to starting work. Boom. Violation. 
fired. The remainder of the crew received a week off without pay for failing to stop and correct a safety issue. So they just didn't care enough to stop that 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 error-prone employee. They didn't care enough to use their stop work authority to step in and dun dun dun, dun save the day in the name of safety. The welding crew that had performed the work that we just talked about, they were also blamed. Uh, they were firmly scolded by their leadership and they were forced to present at safety meetings about the importance of, quote, leaving your work area cleaner than how you found it. And in an effort to top these already horrific actions, the company Im- immediately launched a care more about yourself and your coworker campaign, right? Going around telling everybody to pay more attention to each other. And if you really cared enough about not getting hurt, you wouldn't. If you cared enough about your friends at work and their well-being, you would step in and see everything and prevent them from getting hurt as well. So through stand down after stand down, company leaders, safety people, they pleaded with the workforce to care more about not getting hurt and to care more about each other through increased situational awareness uh, and that through this increased care and awareness, failure would become a thing of the past. So frontline leaders didn't get out of this unscathed either. They were blamed and shamed for not oversighting hard enough and enforcing the rules hard enough and not doing observations hard enough. So new observation quotas were established, and they even created some focused observations around eye injury prevention. Again, farther, this long list of awesome remedies, right? A did-you-clean-your-scaffold checkbox was added to every scrap of required pre-job and post-job paperwork in sight. A scaffold cleanliness section was added to the scaffold tagging system, and all of the above was near endlessly audited by the organization. Just generally over, you know, increased observation, increased oversight over all of that stuff that was all that garbage, all the garbage that was that's just been added. To take that even farther, a zero tolerance policy was also implemented that basically stated, "I'd rather see you fired, broke, and homeless than even barely hurt." Right. And that's often where we go. I would rather just see you living in a cardboard box under a bridge jobless than to even get a, a bump, than to even get a scratch. And I'll tell you, they enforced it. So if, if a wrongdoer was discovered during this course of auditing or oversight, you know, in really the administrative side of that, yup, you forgot to check the box. Zero tolerance. They were click, quickly blamed, shamed, fired, and replaced by someone who the organization would hope would care more. Insanity, right? We talk a lot about safety insanity around here, but just absolutely insane. But before we continue on, and, you know, there's there's more. Trust me, there, there's, there's more fixes. There's more corrective actions here. But before we continue down that road, um, this exploration into bullshit, <laughs> let's pause here for a moment. And, and to ponder a question, let's, let's pause and think for a second. Have they accomplished anything? Dramatic pause. I always feel the need, so you just don't think I just cut out on you to say that. <laughs> but dramatic pause. Better yet, was the response meaningful or meaningless? Let's let's keep going. Let's keep going on that. In fact, let's let's go a little farther. Did we make it easier or harder? Did we make it easier or harder to create safety or for safety to manifest in the work environment? Did we make work easier or harder? Did we make work suck more or less? And I feel the need to call out the fact that each action that we've discussed so far other than the direct disciplinary actions that we talked about, you know, the, 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 the beheadings, basically, that we talked about, everything else impacted the total workforce. So due to a minor injury, a recoverable injury, an injury that was really probably wouldn't have gotten much worse, 
right? Due to something that was extremely, extremely minor. The entire workforce was subjected to being fixed by the organization. So just just humor me and allow me to state the obvious here, but nothing was fixed, right? In, in fact, you know, nothing meaningful had been done. And, you know, it, it really looks more like a problem in search of a solution, right? Safety theater at best. And I'm not so sure, again, kind of where we were talking, I'm not so sure that there was anything there that even required fixing to begin with. I, I know that's sacrilegious because there was an event, so there must be 30,000 things to fix. But... The brutal fact of the matter is that this obsession with trying to fix everything, prevent everything, this idea of we must always prevent reoccurrence no matter how minor and that's how we create safety, um, we've actually made things much, much worse, right? So just, again, think back through all of what we just talked about. We fixed nothing and we made things worse. So to highlight what these fixes, air quotes, have actually accomplished so far. Let's just do a recap. An employee, a seasoned and skilled carpenter with numerous years of experience with the company had an issue at work. In this case, it was an injury to their eye. They took on the interpersonal risk to say something. They were trusting enough of the organization to report the problem. In response, the organization swiftly acted by publicly crucifying the employee, tarring, tar and feathering the crew, flogging the group that had last used the scaffold, and making life just that much more difficult and harder overall for the entire workforce. So these actions did not just create more meaningless clutter and general hardship. They created something far worse. They created silence, fear, and frustration. They made life harder. They make work harder. They created disdain for the organization. They reinforce this idea of a parent-child relationship between employee and employer. They moved them farther away from learning, farther away from betterment. And they did it all in the name of safety. I'm going to say something here. Who in their freaking right mind would report something in such an environment? I, I most certainly would not. And if you say that you would, you're lying. <laughs> it's that simple. It's that simple. I would not report something to this organization, right? But we sit here after these kind of this kind of long list of kind of corrective actions and re horrific response and public decapitations and and say, I don't know why people won't report stuff to us. We have a rule that says that they're supposed to. And then when we find people not reporting to us, we do something extremely similar to what we just talked about. We beat the crap out of people, fire them, shame them, and replace them, right? It's, it's, it's horrible. And then we go back into that, that, that thought circle of going, I don't know why people won't trust us and report to us. But wait, 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 wait. There's, there's, there's more. But wait, there's more. Adding to this already stinking pile of shit... The company added more PPE, more personal protective equipment, our go-to, our go-to fix for everything. So in addition to the standard requirements of hard hat, safety glasses, gloves, earplugs, kind of basic PPE stuff, scaffold builders were now forced and forced through a brand new zero tolerance rule to wear either a face shield or a new contraption that was lovingly referred to as the hockey mask. And so you've probably seen these things, but this now mandated kind of thingamajig being a face shield with this kind of integrated goggles, remember, kind of looking like a resembling a, a, a paintball mask, right? If you ever played paintball, or even better yet, a, a hockey mask. So not much of a choice, right? So you get to wear this big floppy over the hard hat face shield thing, or you can pick to wear the uh, the hockey mask. And you know, personally, I think I would choose the Jason Voorhees look over the floppy face shield attached to my hard hat too. So most folks chose the 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 hockey mask. 
Um, but you know, it's it's a choice between the lesser of of things, the lesser of two evils, really, right? It's it's a choice between two bad options, right? When you have to choose between two evils, you know, you still choose evil. You still have to choose evil. When presented with a choice between bad and worse, bad might be the obvious winner, but it's still choosing bad. So there can't really be any winners uh, in this organizationally induced conundrum. And what I mean by that is, so so now while scaling heights and structures that most people, myself included, would never dare, while shimmying up tubes of scaffold to to erect scaffolding systems, while performing their high height tightrope balancing act of part passing, passing, hammering, tightening, constructing, all while doing that, all while trying to avoid a deadly fall to the ground below, all while trying to get work done. They have to do it now virtually blind, or at least their vision significantly obstructed while pouring sweat through this fogging up contraption that's strapped to their face. And this truly meets the definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Right? So in essence, all that's been accomplished is an increase in the likelihood of a high outcome event, all in the name of preventing an extremely uh, low outcome event. So work has been made harder. Efficiency's been basically destroyed. The risk of dropping a scaffold pole and impelling someone below, along with the risk of a scaffoldist falling to their death, it's dramatically increased. So to, to distill this back down to the heart of our conversation, all that's been created is chronic harm and suffering for those trying to do their best to accomplish work and the potential for extremely high outcome, acute harm and suffering. All that's been created is increased pain, increased pain and suffering. And this leads me back to the point on the morality of our approaches to safety. The creation and introduction of meaningless and needless pain, which is what we just talked about, all those pieces, it's just us. And if you hear my dogs, there we go. Dogs barking in the background too. You know, this is, this is the real deal podcast today. The introduction of all of that pain, all those things that we just talked about are pain sources that we created, that we poured into our system, that did not exist until we put our hands on that stuff. We created that suffering. We as the organization, we as safety professionals, we as leaders, we create those points of pain. We create harm and suffering through our actions. All of those actions that we talked about, all negative, all negative, none good, all horrible. The creation and introduction of meaningless and needless pain into our work worlds is ethically and morally wrong, period. Even if it's in the name of safety, even if it feels really freaking great, even if we have fooled ourselves into thinking that we can better our workforce through the application of pain and suffering, it's disgraceful, it's shameful, and it's completely contrary to what we should stand for. We should be lessening suffering. We should be trying to lessen pain. We can't add pain in the name of removing pain. That's just stupid. It sucks, and it has to change. The creation of pain sources in our worlds, in our systems, it's not good. It's not good. And it should be exactly the kind of crap that we stand against, not stand for. So I'll leave you to ponder on that one. I'll tell you, my thoughts aren't completely formed around this stuff either. And many of these things are thought explorations, as you know, and they turn into some rants. And I hope to, I hope to leave you uh, thinking more than, than just dropping a bunch of answers on you 
because I'm figuring this stuff out too as we go. And I think it's, but I, I don't think I know. I know that this is a conversation that we've got to have. We've got to figure out because I feel that we're, we're either there or almost there to the point of being morally bankrupt around safety at work. And it's not good. It's not good. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. For sure. This one in particular. Send me an email. Send me a DM. Come on and talk about this with me. I think it would be a really interesting one. Maybe this is something that we can, uh, we can do some guests. We're talking about bringing some guests back. So that's all I've got. Let me know how you like the new format as far as the uh, Monday-only shows. Let me know how things are going in your neck of the woods. I'd love to catch up with you. I've been super-duper busy. I see, I see you guys out there. Some of you are sending me messages. I see you. I owe some of you messages back. I know. I, that, that's, a, that's a point of pride for me is that I try to reply to everyone other than all those kind of like LinkedIn uh, sales trolls out there that wander around trying to sell me crap constantly. Hard pass. So if any of you are listening, I, I, no, I'm good. I, I don't need uh, 47 varieties of glove and I don't need VR goggles. I'm okay. Um, but that's all, that's all I've got. There's an extra side rant for you. That we're all, We all feel that. We all feel that trying to hang out on LinkedIn and hang out with each other. That's all I've got. Sam Goodman, the hop nerd, signing off. Is pain really the way that we do things better? I don't think so. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.